Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the fourth day. Numero cuatro. I think that's right. Uh, that's about the extent of my Spanish, aside from, like, taco. Uh, January 4th, 2024. So far, 2024 has been pretty damn good. Not too bad. As far as years goes, you're just judging a year by the first four days. This, this one's okay so far. Anyway, welcome to the program. We've got a lot of ground to cover and just not a lot of time to do it because life just, life comes at you fast. If you don't stop to smell the roses or cut the cheese every once in a while, you might just miss it. Uh, don't forget that you don't want to miss the extra day of shows and the extra content, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter locals.com. The book contest shall return next week. I just uh, didn't get to it this week and been slacking, I admit it. But anyway, I've got a lot to get to. I want to start off. Bum, bum, ba, da, ba, da, da. She's gone. Not really. She's gone. She's gone. Oh, I, oh, I. she's not gone. She's not going anywhere, but she's not going to be president anymore. Claudine Gay has resigned as the president of Harvard because almost 50 instances of plagiarism so far now, granted, that's probably maxing out on the instances of plagiarism for Claudine Gay because Claudine Gay does not have a lot of academic writings. You know, her, her academic career has been pretty, uh, pretty thin, pretty lazy, pretty terrible, pretty, I don't know, <laughs> it's like a, a cheap soup. It's warm water with like a chicken bone in it that's been boiling for a while. Not a lot of flavor to it. She has published fewer pieces in peer-reviewed journals than most of her contemporaries in the presidencies of various universities have in an average couple of years, even a year, to be honest with you. And that's over the course of her career. She's gotten by on victimhood. Oh, how dare you? That's so right. Ra- yeah, you know what? I don't care. This is what I, the left has so pounded the concept and the term racist into dust that it has no effect, except it's got a within the green room atmosphere, echosphere, whatever you want to call it, of MSNBC, that still resonates. In a world where people still give a damn what Al Sharpton thinks, the cries of racism matter, especially when it comes to a lady who's keeping a job as a professor for $800,000 a year. I love, I love, I wish that we were all as oppressed as Claudine Gay. It's like, oh, that's horrible. People are coming after me because of the color of my skin. And weirdly, a whole bunch of people who not once have tried to defend her against the charges of plagiarism or try to defend the merit of her academic achievements. They've never once said that. It's all, she's black, and you're attacking her because she's black. Okay, well, if you want to say that, the best way to prove that would be to torpedo every other thing, right? Say, you're attacking her because you're accusing her of plagiarism. She didn't plagiarize. She did plagiarize a bunch of times. A whole bunch of times. Uh, 
Well, that's not against the the rule. It is against the rules. You could go and find students that have been booted out of Harvard because of doing exactly what Claudine Gay did. You can't say, well, uh, they can't come up with anything. Any of the actual allegations, the anti-Semitism thing where she couldn't say whether or not calling for the extermination of Jews and like harassing Jews, that may or may not be bullying. It depends on the context. See, if you're speaking live, you're standing next to a Jew and you're talking to somebody else and say, boy, I'd like to kill all the Jews. That's a different con. You're not threatening the Jewish student next to you that you're walking and talking loudly enough so that they can hear you on purpose. That's a- but if you go up to that Jewish student and say, I want to kill you and everybody who like you, then that's a gray area and probably might fall into a slight bullying situation where you could probably get detention or something like that. It's unbelievable. They're not trying to defend Claudine Gay against anything. Their response is, she's black. She's, that's, their, that's their whole response. She's black. You're going after her because she's black. No, we're going after her because she's a plagiarist. But she's black. I don't care what color she is. Jamel Hill, who herself is a racist and just sees race. Every, it's just pathetic uh, the way that these lefts operate. She writes on Twitter, when white people are hired in any position, the automatic assumption is that they were the best person. When black people are hired, it's assumed we got there because of affirmative action, which, by the way, doesn't mean underqualified. If affirmative action never existed, a lot of white people would still believe deeply in their own superiority because that is what they've been taught. Ah, racism much? Make generalizations about racism? Considering there have been 30 presidents at Harvard and Claudine Gay was the only black one in history, she had to be extremely qualified to be in that position. But don't let me interfere with your racism. Go off. She's never once, Jamel Hill has never defended against the plate. Now, it makes me wonder, because all these leftists, including the Associated Press, Associate, I, I, we might be in the midst of the golden days of plagiarism. It could really be that simple because maybe everybody does it. I don't know. The Associated Press, their headline, Harvard's president's, uh, Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, colon, plagiarism. Uh, what? Plagiarism is standard. It's not a weapon. It's standards. It's holding someone to standards. It's a pretty simple standard. Hey, did you write those words or did you copy and paste those words from somebody else or change a couple so you didn't actually have to do the work? That's like saying uh, I take Tolstoy's War and Peace and I just change the title of Peace and War, slap my name on it and go, there you go. I am an academic. Here's my book by my book. By the way, in the Associated Press article where the weapon is, uh, the, well, the horrible weapon plagiarism, they write this about scalping. Tells you history begins with each new Rachel Maddow monologue. Christopher Rufo, a conservative activist who helped orchestrate the effort, celebrated her departure as a win in his campaign against elite institutions of higher education. On X, formerly Twitter, he wrote, quote, scalped end quote, as if gay was a trophy of violence, invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonists who sought to eradicate Native Americans. 
that's the that's their definite. That's where they come up with scalping. We got a scalp. We scalp. Now the left loves scalps. They love it, but they also have this weird belief that this continent was utopia. It was some sort of socialist utopia where rain dances worked and smoke peace pipes was uh, the way to avoid war and wars never happened. It was a violent cesspool just like everywhere else in the world. The idea of civilization is a relatively new concept in the grand scheme of human history. One that originated in Europe, by the way, the one where, you know, Europeans went around and killed a whole bunch of people for no good reason and killed each other over land and killed each other over everything you got. And then eventually, just like the rest of the world, then eventually they kind of stopped and said, hey, you know what? Randomly killing people is wrong and against the law. And that idea has kind of spread around the world, mostly to become the norm. Now, there are certain pockets of the world where it's not quite that bad, depending on who you kill. You could look at China, you could look at South Africa, you can look at various parts of South American countries, whatever. But the general concept that you shouldn't be running around killing people for no good reason, while it was in the Ten Commandments starting a long time ago, as a matter of course in society and culture, it's a relatively new phenomenon that uh, originated with Evil Whitey. Now, did Evil Whitey then go on his Evil Whitey, a uniform group of people? No. But then neither is anybody. That's really what makes Jamel Hill's comments so stupid and so racist is she just generalizes. You're generalizing about black people and white people. White people are all bad, by the way. That's it. That's it. <laughs> when black people are hired to race, it's assumed we got there because of affirmative action, which, by the way, doesn't mean we're in club, but if affirmative action never existed, a lot of white people will still believe deeply in their own superiority because that's what they've been taught. And there are a lot of black people who have been taught that there's black superiority, too. There's a lot of people, black people who have been taught that there's black victimhood as well. And boy, howdy, have they monetized that, Jamel Hill. What what else do you bring to the table? You're supposedly used to be like a sports commentator, but you sucked at it. You got fired by ESPN for spewing racist crap that was even too far for ESPN. And the Atlantic said, we'll hire you. Now, again, Jamel Hill is quick to point out that she's a victim because of her skin color, that other people are victims because of their skin color. She never gave a damn, like the officer who was murdered in St. Louis during the BLM riots. Nope, she didn't care about them. I don't, I don't believe, I don't remember ever seeing Jamel Hill opine about that. Anybody whose businesses were, it was all, you know, this is for justice, for George Floyd. Junkie justice for George Floyd. She doesn't give a damn about anybody. Eh, she maybe she'll care a little bit about it. If she finds it useful and knows that their politics align with hers. But a white person, I don't believe that she's ever sort of said, this is ridiculous when you see all these videos, various videos that don't fit the left-wing narrative that circulate on TV. But Jamel Hill will tell you she is a victim. She is oppressed because of her skin color. Now, she's gotten a bunch of jobs. Maybe she's got some kind of talent that she's kept hidden from the world. But she is not an impactful person. She's just not. I mean, what, well, that really, that Jamel Hill, thing, aside from like 
the things that got her fired from ESPN. Can you think of something that Jamel Hill did? We're like, that's a really thoughtful um, statement that you made, and let's discuss it further. No, it just doesn't happen. Meanwhile, Jamel Hill, as somebody who watches Below Deck, which is about rich people who rent luxury yachts for a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars for a week. And, uh, you know, and the crew that serves them. Jamel Hill has twice been a charter guest on that program. So for all the uh, talk of victimhood and oppression that Jamel Hill fosters and pretends as she's so put upon, remember, she's vacationing better than you are. I don't begrudge her that she can afford it. I begrudge her the bullshit of claiming that, oh, this country is so racist, systemic racism. And I don't think that she was a, uh, a diversity hire on vacation because you've got to pay to rent the boat. I think she's a fraud who has monetized the concept of victimhood, like far too many, like Al Sharpton is king of it, who has weighed in. Gotta love Al Sharpton weighing in. And so they realize these people... That And the left is always leftists. There aren't many conservative black people out there talking about the constant victimhood and systemic this. And this is, Thomas Sowell isn't wasting a whole lot of time on this crap. It's always leftists. They've monetized it. They've made a tidy little sum. They don't really give a damn that their message, as it were, is actually doing damage to future generations because you're telling people they can't get ahead no matter what. That when they face adversity, and they will face adversity, they will not get a job. Why? Because they probably didn't deserve to get the job. There are plenty of jobs I did not get, that I did not deserve to get, but I aspire to it and get them, and I keep trying, keep on trucking. But if you are told you're never going to get those jobs, and you're just starting out and you're not getting the jobs you want because you're not qualified, maybe you interview poorly, maybe you went in with a sense of entitlement, whatever it is, whatever it is, or somebody's better for the job than you, then you might just go, ah, well, there's a right. These people that are telling me that the system really is rigged against me, I can't get ahead. And then you begin to stop trying. Once you begin to stop trying, it's over. It's over. You've been sapped of your humanity and you become a tool of the left. And you're told this, and everybody on television and everybody in media who tells you this is people making six and seven figure salaries. Barack Obama, the system is rigged. Uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Warren, the system is rigged. They're, make, they're worth seven, eight figures each. If the system is oppressed and, and designed to keep women and minorities down, then how the hell did you people do it? Nobody ever asks that question. They should. should be the only question you ask. Because their own life story negates the concept. But they don't. And they keep going because it works. Like I say, you can get extremely rich and do or do really, really well for yourself by having a small audience if they are dedicated enough to you. And that's it. If they are dedicated enough to you, you can get them to give you money. Doesn't have to be millions. It can be hundreds of thousands of people. And you will get money from them. They'll subscribe. They'll donate. They'll whatever it is. They'll buy and they'll do it. You see that in talk radio all the time. Rush Limbaugh's audience is gone. Nobody's anywhere close to what Rush Limbaugh was. But the hucksters who are out there doing it, it's commercial every, every five seconds. You're willing to whore yourself out and uh, pretend 
and lie, you can make a lot of money off of very few people. The audience size relative to what was for Rush is a fraction of it. Rush, Rush was making 30 million people a week. 30 million people a week. I've seen some of the numbers. Nobody's anywhere close to that. Maybe, maybe four to five million people per week, which is nothing compared to Rush. It's a joke. It's pathetic compared to Rush. But they'll lie to you and tell you it's wonderful. It's smashing. Most of these people, by the way, are on stations that the companies that they work for own, which means that the stations had no choice. And it's because the company has maximized profit. And it doesn't really matter. A lot of these things, you don't need an audience or a big audience to make money off of. Like I say, if the small audience is dedicated enough, the company can still make a ton of money. And it, you tell them to jump, and they jump. You tell them to buy this, and they buy that. It's enough. It's enough. Won't make a difference. Won't help save the world, but it will make companies and, and individuals rich. Same thing happens on the left. They've just managed to monetize victimhood. Victimhood. It won't be long. Somebody's going to start emulating. You already kind of hear it in some of the candidates. You kind of hear it in some of the commentators where they talk about Oh, everybody's out to get me. Everybody out. They're not out to get you. Most people don't know you exist. You aren't important enough. Most of you don't have, you know, Media Matters barely pays attention to these people anymore because they don't matter. There's just nobody with the impact anymore. But Jamel Hill is ridiculous. The Associated Press is ridiculous. Politico. want you to listen to this because... It is in a, in a tweet about a story called How the Right Toppled Harvard's President. Politico tweets out, Nightly reports on the right's coordinated campaign that helped engineer the departure of the head of the most influential university in the world. You go, what? Claudine Gay committed flagrant and repeated instances of plagiarism. And the left-wing media ignored it. The left-wing media uniformly ignored it. They didn't give a damn. They didn't care. It was, to the extent that they talked about it, it was right-wing conservative white people attacking sweet, sweet, nourishing Claudine Gay. She's the first black woman. Again, she's such a victim of racism. If she was such a victim of racism... Her whole life in a society designed to keep her down. Why'd you marry a white guy? I have no doubt that this white guy is some sort of Zeta male who tucks it back really far and pees sitting down because Claudine doesn't want any potential splatter anywhere. But I mean, why would she do that? If it is systemically the whole country, the whole system is rigged against her and it's awful and oppressive and she is so put upon and put down and, uh, you know, held down and oppressed, forgetting the fact that she's made a fortune and probably has a giant golden parachute from her deal with as president and still has an $800,000 a year job teaching at Harvard. What does she teach? One, two days a week at the most? At the most? And she's making $800,000? If it's so oppressed and Whitey is so evil and reason for her oppression, why did she marry a white guy? 
Why would she entertain the idea of dating a white guy? Now, granted, her uh, husband is a professor at Stanford now. He used to be at Harvard. Now he's over at Stanford. He's on the other side of the country. And maybe, you know, ab they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but it also allows for, uh, you know, less vomiting uh, if you really can't. St maybe she hates her husband and loves her husband. Maybe she's oppressed by her husband, but being 3,000 miles away means that uh, it's okay or it's not really oppression. What's really kind of funny is, these people, they work, these professors, they work one to two days a week. It's the sweetest deal you could ever possibly imagine. Maybe you throw in another day with office hours, but not usually because they'll do office hours on days that they teach. So if you, you're teaching one class two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you do office hours on Tuesdays, maybe even Tuesdays and Thursdays for like two hours in a stretch, and that's it by appointment only. That way you don't have to go to campus any other day. You'd be really stupid to go, I'm going to teach a class Tuesday and Thursday, and then I'm going to have my office hours on Wednesday, which means I have to go to work three days a week. Screw that. I can sleep in on Wednesday. And then when you're plagiarizing your research, it's copy and paste, and boom, I've got another paper. No, she wasn't even doing that. She, was, she didn't do the work, and then she didn't not do the work very often. Like it was the ultimate in laziness. I'm going to steal somebody else's work, but not all that frequently. I mean, a high percentage of everything that I do is going to be stolen, but I'm not going to do anything all that often because I don't have to. My work is about how I'm oppressed, and it is preaching to an audience that already looks at me and says I'm oppressed. And I'll get hired for jobs. And if you think she got hired as the president of Harvard because as a diversity hire, with her academic output, there's pretty much little doubt that every job she got was for that very same reason. Just being honest, I'm putting it out there. I don't know that for sure, but it sure seems like that. Now, I love the idea that they're all sitting around going, well, no, we got it. Mark Lamont Hill, who was a longtime racist from cable news, he's been an employee of every cable news channel at one point in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. Like, uh, he was even on Fox for a long time. They kept on having him on. O'Reilly had him on. Laura Ingram had him on. He's a total, complete, flaming racist. And uh, he keeps on getting new jobs. He keeps on getting, he had a show, I think, on CNN. It was just, it's just pathetic. So the next president of Harvard must be a black woman. Must be a black woman. That's the problem. That was the Do you believe, does anybody believe, even Jamel Hill, who's saying, you know, just because affirmative action exists doesn't mean people aren't qualified for it. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't mean that. But do you honestly believe that of all the candidates out there for the presidency of Harvard, that somebody with an academic record as thin as a piece of parchment paper was the best for the job, was the most qualified for the gig? was the strongest candidate? No, no way in hell. But it doesn't matter. They don't care. The left does not care. It's not about standards. It's not about anything other than their political agenda. It's not about anything other than their political agenda. They will push it forward no matter what come hell or high water.
So Claudine Gay is dead. It's a day to celebrate. It's something worthy of celebration, but it is not the finish line. That's the thing. Hey, we've got this new weapon, plagiarism. <laughs> the new weapon is standards, the same standards that these people impose on everybody else. Hold them to the same standards. Let's see if they can live up to that scrutiny. It's not even that deep of scrutiny in most cases, but they can't, they won't, they fail. And when they don't get what they want, when they lose, they cry racism. I'll just say it one last time and then move on. It is worth noting that no defender of Claudine Gay is, or not even defender, defender is the wrong word. Nobody outraged, expressing outrage over the firing of Claudine Gay is defending her against the allegations. They're claiming she's a victim of racism because of her skin color. They're deflecting from the allegations because they can't defend against the allegations because the evidence is overwhelming. Here's somebody else's words, and here are those words again under the byline of Claudine Gay with no quotation marks, no, no citation, nothing. Pretty straightforward. But she's a victim because she's black. No, no. She's a perp because she's the perp, because she did these things. I want to play you shifting gears here. I want to play you something from PBS, a PBS reporter, but you think things are screwed up around the country. You hear about Chicago with the illegal aliens. You hear about New York with the illegal aliens. Occasionally you hear about other places, but I have not heard about Denver yet. Until yesterday, PBS report talking about Denver's going to spend, I think it's 120 million dollars. It's like 10% of their annual budget for the city of Denver. Housing, sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens. They are going to put them up in a part. They're living on the streets. Now, remember, we're told what? We've been told by Democrats that illegal aliens are a boon to the economy. They're great for the economy. They are the engine, the grease, the fire, the fuel for a wonderful economy. Way better than you people, these stupid Americans. That's why we thrive is because of our diversity. Our diversity is only advanced by illegal aliens. It's not legal immigrants. It's illegal aliens. Well, they're sleeping all over the streets in Denver. You're going to hear a woman speaking Spanish. It doesn't matter what she says. The point is she's speaking Spanish, which means she can't communicate with the vast majority of people in this country, which makes her wildly unemployable, meaning she has no discernible skills. She is a grandmother with two young grandchildren. She is here illegally and was sleeping on the streets of Denver. Nothing against it. The plight at an individual level is horrible and you feel bad for them as humans. That being said, they shouldn't be here. They should be back in Venezuela or wherever the hell they're from because that's where they're from. All right. You want to immigrate, try to do so legally. But there are standards like being able to communicate, like, I don't know, not being a drag on society. Ellis Island, the left always says, well, you'll let white people march right through. Ellis." no, we didn't. Ellis Island was not a turnstile welcome center. It was a way station where you had to prove you would not be a drag on society, that you could support yourself or had somebody here who would support you and that you were healthy and that you were healthy. If you were sick, you're missing teeth, they'd send your ass back. Didn't matter how long the boat ride was to get here and how much you spent on it. You're going to hear this story. This woman is horribly sick. They don't say of what, but she's sick. 
which means the elderly grandmother with two young grandkids, the two young grandkids are not going to contribute anything to society because they're grandkids. They don't speak the language. I assume they are illiterate in Spanish as well as unable to communicate in English. They're going to be put into public schools and they're going to drag down the school system because they cost a fortune to educate and bilingual education. And they're going to have to neglect, the teachers are going to have to neglect and slow down the lesson plans for American kids. So you're screwing over the kids there. You're screwing over the education system. And grandma is sick. She's going to get on Medicaid and she's going to get on whatever else the state has and the city has. And she's going to suck resources out. And she's unemployable because she's sick and can't communicate. She should be deported immediately for those reasons, but she won't be. Instead, she's going to get an apartment for one to three months. Now, Denver's screwed up policy is you're going to get an apartment if you're working and you're an illegal alien, homeless illegal alien. The city will pay your rent for one month if you're employed. Then you got to pick up the slack. Oh, great. Let's, here, we'll set you up. That's, I guess it's something, only one month. I expect that to change and <coughs> be extended, but... If you're unemployed and an illegal alien, you get three months of rent. Why? Because why not? Because things are so stupid in this country and Democrats are so ridiculous. You're going to get three months free rent. Now, sick grandma here is going to qualify for three months because she can't work. And now, do you think that the progressive leftists who run Denver are going to come three months down the road when grandma's still not working, grandma's still sick, and go... Sorry, uh, you got to start paying rent or you've got to get out. No, these are people who wanted to, who suspended evictions during COVID and then wanted to keep evictions suspended indefinitely. These are people who hate the concept of capitalism, who hate the concept of responsibility, who hate the concept of people having to pay for things. You think they're going to come back and say, sorry, Nana, out on your ass. No, they're not. So listen to this report and just see how screwed up things are in Denver. Then thank God you don't live in Denver. And then realize that sooner or later, if you are in any place where there is Democrats in control, this will eventually come to you. The corner of Spear and Zuna is no place for a family. Nairit made it to Denver after months of traveling from Venezuela. Her grandchildren are six months and seven years old. In between coughing, Camila tells us she's been sick all the time and her family doesn't have the money to buy her the medicine she needs. Tonight might be the last night the family of 10 spends living in the cold. Tomorrow morning, Denver police will come through and clear the camp. The city has made space for 320 of the migrants living here to move into shelters. They'll be allowed to stay there for 30 days, with the hope of moving into permanent housing after. No es nada concreto, porque no sabemos a qué parte nos van a llevar, pues. Pero un techo que nos dé es una bendición. Out here, it's clear Denver has a problem. This uh, challenge is far larger than we've ever seen it before, and the scale can feel overwhelming. Inside city council, the mayor is sounding an alarm on how much this crisis will cost. Our budget right now for 2024 at this capacity would be about $180 million for 2024. Um, 
you can do the math in your head, but that's about 10 to 15% of the entire general fund budget for 2024. Democratic Mayor Mike Johnston put around $50 million towards solving homelessness last year. The migrant crisis could cost more than three times that amount this year. That would be a very, very painful conversation about budget options if we had to figure that out. In a battle between a city wanting to be welcoming and a city's bottom line, the future is not clear. So terrible. It's so awful. Don't you just feel... No, now I just caught that for the first time. The family of 10? Family of 10? Well, let's get 10 seats on the next plane back to Venezuela. I'm beyond giving a damn about these people. I'm beyond compassion. I just can't bring myself to care anymore. I can't. What do you think that woman and that family of 10 are going to contribute to society relative to what they're going to get? Benefits, food banks, food stamps, health care. You show up to an emergency room. Do you really think they're just going to pay the bill? They're never going to pay the bill. All of it is going to constant is going to add up. The cost of educating their kids going to screw them, screw us over. That's Denver. It's just the start. It's not going to be the end. I love it. We're spending ten to fifteen percent of your budget housing. It was not one hundred and twenty million, one hundred eighty million. Ten to fifteen percent of your budget housing illegal aliens. Why? What about Americans? Are you scooping up homeless Americans? Because I know for a fact there's a homeless problem in Denver that goes beyond the illegal aliens. The vast majority of the homeless in Denver existed before Joe Biden's open border policy. There was no push to we need to find them places to live. Now that there are a lot more people on the streets, the tent cities have propped up and it's more visible. And so Democrats would put a Band-Aid over that and say, all right, we'll, we'll uh, house these illegal aliens. But they, they won't go for the Americans. How's the Ameri- If you really want to care, if you're going to house somebody, should it not be Americans first? But no. Denver will st- Denver looks at it and goes, we need to help these migrants. They're not migrants, they're illegal aliens. We need to help these migrants. Oh, they're suffered enough. What about the homeless veterans? Uh, you know, no, nah, yuck, shut up, forget about that. These are the priorities of the Democratic Party. Are you a priority of the Democratic Party? The odds are you are not a priority of the Democratic Party. <clears throat> as an American, just as American, doesn't matter what kind of American, what color of American, what flavor of American, you're not a priority of the Democratic Party. Priority, you can only have one priority. The tip of the iceberg, the tip of the spear, the top numero uno priority is the sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal alien. Why? Because they're much more likely to be counted on in the future to vote for Democrats than you are, because you're having to pay for all the Democratic failures. And you're kind of getting pissed off about it. Illegal aliens have not. Although it would be nice to see. I don't want them to be here long enough to know, but I'll be curious to see whether or not the illegal aliens will then vote for, once the Democrats get them citizenship and voting, if they will vote for the same political philosophy that they fled in their home countries. We're not dealing with deep thinkers here, so probably 
Lastly, speaking of not dealing with deep thinkers, I just want to play you this from CNN in case your childhood was at all in any part um, related to Star Wars. Star Wars was was the end-all, be-all for me. But if your uh, childhood had anything to do with Star Wars and you thought Disney screwed it up, Disney wasn't done screwing it up. I don't know, is it possible to short a stock two years ahead of time? This CNN report about a new Star Wars movie that is being directed by a feminist leftist. Why? Because, I don't know, they want to ruin everything. So the first woman and the first person of color to direct a Star Wars film. It's set to be released in 2026. You can say that the force is strong with this one. Here's Charmino Bechinoy. You know, I'm very thrilled about the project because I think um, what we are about to create is something very special. And we're in 2024 now. And I think uh, it's about time that we had a woman uh, come forward uh, to shape the story in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, that galaxy isn't far away enough. How about a good story? But no, we need a woman. She's Canadian Pakistani. I don't even, the hyphenates are just so stupid at this point. Canadian Pakistani. She's a woman of color. Not a whole lot of color, but enough color. She's off white. Got to celebrate that. Got to celebrate that she's a woman. But does she suck? Can she make a good Star Wars movie? It doesn't matter. Was she hired because of her vision and really a great plot or anything? No. She's a, she checks boxes. Again, Claudine Gay will get a production credit on this. Maybe she'll be involved in the screenplay as well. This is how the left works. How do you pee? What color are you? Oh, all right. Uh, I want to hire you. And we'll figure out for what later. But I'll just put you on the payroll now. He said, this is Disney. This is Disney Star Wars. George Lucas is rolling over in his grave. <laughs> but hey, you know, he got his billions and he doesn't give a damn anymore. He doesn't have to watch this crap. But I do love that 2026 is when the movie's coming out. Can you short a stock two years ahead of time? Can you sell short Disney this far out? Asking for a friend. Anyway, that is enough for today. Good Lord, it's Thursday already, which means tomorrow's Friday, which these four-day work weeks, boy, howdy, I do so love them. I do so love them. Anyway, have yourself a wonderful Thursday. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Uh, check it out. And uh, by the way, Quinn is, uh, <laughs> she's got my temper, which is a bit of a problem. Get mad at things. Uh, we taught her yesterday or worked on getting her to start riding the bike. That was, she could stop. She can steer. She's turning in both directions. But starting is a little rough. I don't know if she understands the concept of kicking on the ground and, and pushing the other pedal or whatever. But when she failed a few times, she did it a couple times. She didn't do it a couple times yesterday. She slammed the bike down. My bike is broken. Not, not the bike. It's not the bike. It's you. But she was mad. She'd just sit down and refuse to do it and whatever. But she'll get there. She's getting there. She still wants to do it, which is good. Even though, like, next is swearing. She's going to start swearing in front of her grandparents. And I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do about that one. And uh, actually, I won't have to explain it at all. Everybody will just know that it's, they'll blame me. 
It won't be uniformly my fault, exclusively my fault. My wife can swear at things too, but I do it more often and, and quite frankly better. Anyway, there you go. There's your update on Quinn today. Uh, go get some sun. It's supposed to be cold this weekend here. I hope we get some snow. That would be pretty awesome. And we'll be back to do it all again tomorrow because the stupid never stops. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.